I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. I'm Lisa. And I'm Becca. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. We have got some very exciting guests today. Today, we are joined by Lisa Foreman and Becca DeMonte. Lisa, pronouns she, her, is the founder of Pride and Less Prejudiced. She has been teaching children music in preschools, libraries and music groups and through private piano lessons for more than 25 years. Becca DeMonte pronoun she, her, is the Outreach Coordinator of Pride and Less Prejudice. She graduated from Smith College with a Bachelor of Arts in Women and Gender Studies and a concentration in Archival Studies. Becca has worked in Media Matters for America, the Century Foundation, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and currently writes for Tag Magazine and The Advocate. Welcome to the Journey to Transformation. It's amazing to have you here. And we want to know and learn and talk all about Pride and Less Prejudice and inclusion and all of the amazing work that you've done over the past couple of years with this organization. So tell us about your journey. How did Pride and Less Prejudice come about? Thank you so much for having us on the podcast. We're really excited to be here. So happy to tell you a little bit about our journey. As Pride and Less Prejudice, we are a nonprofit organization and we send LGBTQ inclusive books to elementary schools, specifically pre-K to third grade classrooms across the United States and Canada. So Lisa is my mom. So this was an idea that my mom and I had back in November of 2019. We started to really think about the kinds of resources that were in the classroom when I was a kid. I'm queer. I didn't really put that together until I would say late middle school, early high school, and started to think about if there had been books with LGBTQ characters when I was in the elementary schools, how helpful it would have been to me in my own journey, my own coming out journey. And when I was in high school, I was watching TV shows like Glee and Pretty Little Liars, and they had some really excellent LGBTQ representation. And the representation really made me figure out that I was queer and started to imagine what would have happened if I had that kind of representation as a young kid, how much easier it would have been for me to come to terms with my sexuality. And that's the conversation that my mom and I started having. And then I'll toss to you. Yeah, we started talking about it. And we were talking about it with a friend of Becca's and mine that is a second grade teacher who's also queer. And we were saying, what kind of books do you even know about that are good for that age group? Do you use any of them in your classrooms? And she sent me a list of about a dozen books. And I was like, oh, these are really great. I wonder if we were thinking really small. We were thinking like, oh, let's see if we know some teacher friends who would want these books in their classes. And let's ask our friends if they would give us some money to buy the books. And it just started out as, wow, this would be a great thing. What a difference this would have made if these books were in the classroom when Becca was younger or even in our home for that matter. And yeah, it snowballed from there. Becca was a real avid reader. So I really wondered whether I know if we had books in the classroom and at home, it would have made such a huge difference. I know for us personally in our home, we had books about interfaith families because we're an interfaith family. My sister adopted both of her kids. So we had books about adoption in our house. And those are subjects that I thought we needed to have in the house. I laugh thinking back about it. And I now realize that a variety of a lot of different topics would have been a better approach to our home library. And we want to just get that message out there to everybody that these inclusive stories are really important to have at home, but in school for everyone to see them. Especially because not everybody's home is going to be as accepting or as inclusive. There are lots of students that come from homes where 
those might not be books that parents have or are comfortable having, or those might not be the right set of parents to be having those kinds of conversations. And so we want those books to be in the classrooms where we have supportive teachers, and we're only sending books to teachers who are asking for them. And so we want students who might not feel safe to come out at home to feel safe to do so in the classroom. I think that's amazing. As a fellow member of the Rainbow Mafia, I completely agree. And had I had books like one of the favorites, Julian is a Mermaid. Love it. It's really amazing all of the books that are coming out because when I was myself coming out, a lot of the representation was usually really dark and sad. There was always something really horrible happening to queer people on TV, movies, in books. It was always really sad and dark. And so I myself am very excited about the ways in which diverse sexual identity, sexual representation are being put out into the universe. The big problem that we want to talk to you both about today. How do you do all of this where there's like this massive shrinking space, particularly in the States? I am also American. For queer rights, the space is shrinking in a way that was surprising to me. It feels like the space is getting smaller and smaller. So when you say supportive teachers, potentially not a supportive home life, talk to us about some of the pitfalls, some of the challenges, how you overcome some of those hurdles, because it feels like a really scary space. Lauren knows that I was very upset as do some of our listeners, when we were talking about these far-right terrorists going and harassing and being aggressive and bringing guns to drag queen reading groups and libraries, it scares me. So as a fellow lover of the written word, I just wonder, is this what does this battleground look like? It is really scary. I think that one of the things that we talk about as a team, because we're a team of about 12 people now across the country, all volunteer. And we talk about it a lot in terms of the climate and what's happening, but we all feel really strongly about just keeping our nose to the grindstone for lack of another phrase. Like we just are going to keep doing what we're doing and supporting teachers and kids. Becca said, we only send them to schools where teachers are asking for them. We're not soliciting anybody who doesn't want them in their classrooms. That doesn't mean that it won't end up in a classroom where a parent or somebody is not happy about the book being there. But to be really honest, we don't deal a whole lot with that piece of it. I think only once, I'm trying to remember back, did we have a teacher reach out and say, oh, I got pushed back about a book you sent. Do you have any help or suggestions or whatever? We don't really have that happen which is interesting because we've sent over 7,500 books out there. Wow. <laughs> and that doesn't mean it's not happening. I'm just saying that we don't really get that feedback. But I do feel, and maybe this is just the optimist in me, that most of the rooms that these books are landing are places where they should be. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we don't get hate. We, yeah, we do. certainly <laughs> get our fair share of hate on social media. But it's, again, keeping our nose to the ground and saying the hate we're getting aren't normally from teachers. We're getting hate from some of the far right extremists who are going to hate on any kind of LGBTQ advocacy or activism that's happening. So in some ways, it's almost like a badge of honor. We're making that much of a difference that they're coming after us. We have said that when we are advertising or promoting books that have to do with drag stories, that the hate is a little bit stronger. Yeah, And that's something new this year. 
Yeah. We have a drag book in our collection this year, which we were really happy to yeah. add. And we were really happy that we had a problem choosing which drag book to put <laughs> in. It's an amazing problem to have. I was so excited about that. But yeah, I do feel like there are, are just haters out there online yeah. that I really think people just put in the word drag and they just scroll through and just hate on whatever that comes up. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that when there's that much hate, we're getting that much love at the same time. True. I think in the last year, we saw Florida pass the don't say gay or trans law, which prevents teachers from talking about LGBTQ issues or people in the classroom. There are obviously other states that have tried to copy that and it's been awful. But I think that people are looking for things to do with their time and their money and their advocacy. And there are millions of people who are supporting those laws. But on the flip side, there are millions or billions of people who are like super upset and passionate and want to do what they can to make sure that those laws don't stay the way they are. So I certainly think that there are folks that are finding us because we've had people tell us they've just been searching like LGBTQ inclusive books in the classroom because they want to do something. They know that the law is as abhorrent as we're all. I do think saying. it is increasing support of what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. We should title this episode something that really baits. Yes. <laughs> and get people in. We just put Bring like drag, drag queen books over and over again. And just ride this algorithm to. <laughs> yes. I did not know about that law in Florida. Wow. It's oh. awful. And the Republicans in Congress are trying to put together a copycat law on the national level. At least they were last Congress. I'm sure they'll do it again this Congress. It's really abhorrent how many states have tried to copy it. And we've also seen laws to prevent trans youth from accessing gender affirming care, which is just awful. The states, especially the southern states, are really coming for LGBTQ youth and it's awful. Politically, they're just using it as a talking point for the Republicans just to get Absolutely. people riled up and to get parents riled up. And anybody, they can get on their side for some of the silliest reasons, you know. It's a really scary space to me because it feels like such a tremendous backslide. Mm, yeah. That it's almost really surprising to me. I get caught off guard when I open up my news feed and see what nonsense is happening. You are welcome, both of you, welcome to take refuge in the van in London. Just get here and, and uh, you can seek asylum in the van. But with all our drag books. Absolutely, please. It's a van for all. <laughs> Listeners of the podcast will know I am not an optimist. <laughs> so, so when things get dark, I tend to go down the tubes with them. Is the answer to this, to my fears about the loss of rights, the diminishing rights for women, for trans women, for queer youth? Do I just need to keep chucking on? Do I just need to keep working, keep my nose to the grindstone? Or do you just like optimistic people and that's how your optimism manifests it? I just need to know what to do. What's your <laughs> advice? <Yes. laughs> no, I totally feel that. And I often will look at the world and think similarly. But so you mentioned at the top of the podcast that I interned for GLAAD, which is an LGBTQ media advocacy organization. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned from them was that you really just have to focus on the movable middle. There are going to be extremists. And unfortunately, there's no sense in focusing on the extremists because their opinions are unlikely to change. But I think that if you focus on the movable middle, you have a chance to really work with folks. And I think that the movable middle is getting larger as we see things like marriage equality pass in the United States. At the federal level, Biden just signed a law to enshrine marriage equality into law. 
as we see more LGBTQ characters on television, more diverse characters on television. And so I think that even though the extremists seem to be louder, I think that the movable middle and also advocates like my mom and I are also working hard and we really do try to focus on that movable middle. And we get lots of teachers who are supportive, maybe don't know how to talk about LGBTQ issues in the classroom. And that's why we have the books that we have. And we do professional development workshops to try and talk to them about how to talk about pronouns in the classroom and things like that. So I think there are lots of people out there that are willing to learn. They just might not have the resources. And that's where we come in. Yeah. And I think that also for me, just talking about the movable middle, we have friends and family in our circle that we have not necessarily felt was the movable middle. And for me, I think it became a coping mechanism and a way for me to do good in the world against those people in our inner circle that were really not supportive at all about what we were doing. Yeah, I feel like that has been a motivator for me. So yes, I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic. It's a way for me to work around some of that frustration and anger. The movable middle. I mean, you mentioned the professional development workshops, which sound really interesting. Do you also do other advocacy or influencing on sort of media platforms or anything like that? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that we did after we started is we put together a celebrity campaign video, which was influenced by my time at GLAAD. We had actually posted about our organization on a big Facebook group called Pantsuit Nation. <laughs> which, I don't know if you guys are aware of Pantsuit Nation. For listeners who might not be, it's a group that was organized to try and help get Hillary Clinton elected to president in 2016. And the group eventually morphed into this social change group of people sharing personal stories about things that they were facing and about social issues and human rights. Long story short, we ended up posting about it on Pantsuit Nation. It took a couple of months before the post was accepted. And once it was accepted, it just blew up. And we had so many requests from teachers across the country that we couldn't keep up with the demand. And so we decided to put together a celebrity campaign video. We got 13 LGBTQ celebrities, including Nicole Maines, Theo Germain, Daryl Stevens, Adam Rippon to talk about what these books would have meant to them if they had them in the classroom. And my sister, who is the head of our production team, put together this incredible video that we put out online. And we ended up raising, I think, more than $10,000 um, from the video. So we've really, over the course of the last few years, tried to utilize celebrities in their platforms to try and help us get the word out. We've done auctions where we've had donations from big celebrities like Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Emily Hampshire. We also did a virtual event with a couple of celebrities to talk about the importance of LGBTQ media representation. And so we really try our best to get the word out as much as we can, both for donation purposes and for getting more teachers to request. Although I would say we don't really have a problem with finding teachers to request books. We've got hundreds of requests coming through every month, which is just more than we ever could have dreamed of. And I don't feel like we need to advertise too no. much with that piece of things. I think getting the word out to try and raise money has been more of a constant for us mm. because every time I ship out 50 book bundles to teachers, I get at least 50 requests back because each of those people, they get their book bundle, they open it up and they tell a friend. Mm. And so we don't have to really push a lot to find people who want the books. We push harder to find people who will help fund us, reaching out for grants. We reached out to the Tegan and Sarah Foundation for grants. They've been really helpful to us. They've given us four grants since we started. They gave us some community grants. They gave us a trans youth grant, a total of $10,000, four different grants. But we were able to send 500 
88 books to 294 classrooms just through the grants that they provided us. And yeah, we're still searching for opportunities. The New Harvest Foundation gave us money for books in Wisconsin. The Pollination Project gave us money. We had an opportunity with Aerie. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with American Eagle, but they've got a sister company called Aerie that does loungewear and lingerie. And they were doing a contest, the Changemakers contest, looking for ideas from advocates who want to change the world. And they granted $20,000 for 20 different ideas that 23 advocates have had for changing the world. We got $20,000 from Aerie to ship books in 2021. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. So we're constantly searching for ways anyway (laughs) that people will support us financially so we can keep it going because we know it's making a difference and we feel good about what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes to all of that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about the authors. Do you engage with them at all? Because surely, you know, they've got a vested interest in their books being spread far and wide. What's the relationship between Pride and Less Prejudice and the authors, illustrators? Yeah, we have a really wonderful relationship with the authors. We consider them part of the PLP family, Pride and Less Prejudice family. We started out by choosing 14 or 15 books that first year. We reached out to those authors and said, hey, this is what we're doing. Would you do like a meet the author interview online? And they were all like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. And then we reached further and said, hey, would you guys be willing to do a read aloud. And when we started, it was November of 2019. So that next winter, 2020, COVID hit, people were at home doing school and they were doing remote virtual learning. And so we thought, oh, read alouds from the authors would be an amazing thing to share virtually. So we started reaching out to see if the authors could do read alouds of their own books for us, which has become a staple of what we do. But it all came out of COVID and the way people were learning. Yeah, the authors have been really big supporters of ours, even to the point where they will donate a read aloud for a classroom or sign books or things like that for our auctions in the past. We did one of our video blogs with one of the illustrators. We have another one of those coming up. We had Leslie and Newman do a video for us. She's the author of Heather Has Two Mommies and 70 other wonderful books. Yeah. So she is an amazing author. But yeah, we've gotten a ton of support from authors and the illustrators and the illustrators. And I feel like now a few years in, we actually are starting to have authors approach us and say, Hey, <laughs> we would love to have our book featured, which is cool. Cause we were the ones that were seeking out people to begin with. And now there are so many more books out there being published. I think we had over a hundred on our spreadsheet last year that were brand new for the year to try and pick. But some of those authors reach out and say, Hey, we'd love our book featured, but we don't really give any special attention to anybody who reaches out to us. But we're happy for people to teach us about their book or send us a copy so we can be more aware of things out there. I think we're pretty good about being up on all the new things that are being published. Yeah. We love having the authors part of what we do. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And such a great way to jump on what COVID made us all sitting at home and children sitting at home and actually to engage with a book and what's being said in a totally different way. That sounds amazing. And I guess all those videos then just exist forever, really. And people can go and listen and children can listen to the author reading it again and again. So in as far as the read alouds, they have to get their publisher's permission for us to do that. And they all have a time frame. Very few will say we can put it out there for an endless amount of time. Usually it is something that's given to us for a month or two or maybe six months. A couple of people have done it for a year for us. But the publishers, they all want the books to be bought. And so it's more of a partnership in 
saying we're featuring your book. And if you'd like to do a read aloud for us, please ask your publisher over the guidelines before we post. So we're very careful about that. Yeah, fair enough. I, what else can we be doing? Because representation is one massive piece of it. I completely agree. But any thoughts, any ideas about what else we can be doing? I, I was a women and gender studies major. And I remember my roommate and I used to hang out and chat until the wee hours being like, why are all the toy aisles in Target gendered? Why can't they just be organized any other way? And it's such a large societal problem. And I think that Part of why we chose the age that we did is because so much socialization happens at the young age. And if we waited until late middle school or high school, kids' opinions would have already been formed. And so I think, you know, doing the hard work already, it's going to pay off. But it is understandably hard to see what happens when kids go into the classroom sometimes. I can't help but not say, and you need to get some of these books in the classroom with your child (laughs) if they're not already there, because that will be helpful too. And where does the professional development fit into this? We've been having conversations on this podcast about inclusive language because we are in the international development humanitarian space and people struggle to talk inclusively about LGBTQI groups and other perhaps lesser heard groups. Is that part of that professional development package to bring in that inclusive language? Yeah, for sure. The way the professional development workshop started out was because we were sending book bundles to teachers who requested them. And then as we got busier and realized that we couldn't financially send multiple books to the same teacher over and over again, we said we can only send a book bundle to you once. We wanted to find other ways to support the teacher. So one of the initial ways was to have these professional development workshops where people could come for free and talk in a community and discuss a myriad of topics. I'm wondering if you could pull up some of the workshop titles that we've done. Yeah, we've done a couple of different workshops on pronouns and talking in the classroom inclusively. We also have put together resource guides for our website for teachers for all of the books that we have offered. We had a workshop that was teachers who have started GSAs at young ages. And I think that was one of our most popular workshops. We had a lot of folks come to that one. That was huge. That was pretty huge. And that was great. We recently did one teaching inclusive history in the classroom. That was a panel of authors and the founder of Queer Kids Stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No, that um, and we amazing. did one gender and young children forming identity and the role of the adult. And that was a preschool teacher talking about gender development and exploration in young children and the importance of trusting children to tell their own story when it comes to gender and forms of identity. We did one that was being seen and understood as a queer educator. That was a panel. Actually, that was moderated by Trisha Friedman. We always really ask for feedback about the workshops. At the end of every workshop, we send a survey out and say, do you have any other ideas for workshops, things that you're looking for, that your colleagues are looking for? And all of our workshops are really interactive. So we always have the chat going and people are asking questions and our moderators and speakers are answering those questions live as well towards the end of the workshop. And so we really try to form our workshops kind of based on the needs of the teachers. And then the teachers and educators that come to those workshops teach any grade from pre-K all the way up to college. 
And we've gotten folks to come and listen to those workshops from across the world. We had someone from Thailand and Japan. So it's been helpful for us to use these workshops as resources for the pre-K to third grade teachers, but also to be able to reach some of the other teachers we're not able to reach with our book. We also don't require you to be a teacher to come to the professional development workshops. They get a certificate if they want one because they're a teacher. But we've had many family members and friends come to try and educate themselves. And we're not charging for them. It's a donation suggestion if you want, because we know that teachers don't always have the resources. It's the same reason why the books are free to the teachers. And more than half of the requesting schools that we've worked with are Title I schools. And we really pride ourselves on making sure that these resources are accessible and don't come at a cost. Amazing. I was going to ask you, you're taking on the US and Canada, but when are you going to take on the rest of the world? I feel like we need you here in the UK. I feel like the UK needs you. Yeah, this place is a mess too. (laughs) The good thing is about the author read-alouds and the professional development workshops, the teacher resource guides, those are all open to anybody no matter where you live. So that does feel really good. But to be really honest, the shipping even to Canada is really tough. Like it's really expensive to send outside the United States and even to send in Canada to Canada is just as expensive. So I think it would be such a huge problem to try and figure out how to do it outside the area where we are, even though we would love to. You've got to get sponsored by DHL. Yes. (laughs) FedEx. Yeah, FedEx. (laughs) All right. We'll commit some time to working on this one. Yes. You got it. I just have another question. How do you all work together? Because Lauren and I aren't related. We fight all the time. We barely get along with work. (laughs) But it sounds like from what you're describing, it's very much a family affair. How, How does that work? How do you do that? We need some tips. Yes. It's a fantastic family affair. As I mentioned before, my sister is on our video production team and helps out with our newsletter and our website. And my dad has even been really helpful getting donations from the company where he works. So my mom works, essentially, this is her full-time gig, but she's not getting paid for it, which is just more than I could ever ask for. If you ever told me that when I first came out to her, I probably would have believed it because she was so supportive when I came out. The rest of our volunteers, they're about 10 or 11 of us. We're all part-time and just chime in and help when we can. We've got monthly meetings that we do on Zoom and we've had a couple of interns over the years who have helped us as well. And so we just put in the time that we're able to and my mom does most of the rest of it, which is just incredible. It's impossible to do it without a team of really dedicated, passionate people, whether they're people that live or used to live in my house. They don't live in my house anymore. (laughs) Whether they're related to me or not, I honestly feel like the whole team is like my kids. <laughs> Everybody's like one family. Everybody's just so passionate and so dedicated. And they all work full time doing something else, but help on the weekends or at night, which makes my job constant. So that's a struggle for me. But I could never do it without everybody. And I think everybody has their lane and their specialty. And I think that helps. In order to join our team, I always say to people, what is it that you want to do to help us? Because to give them a task that they're not really supportive of really doesn't work for most people. So I think the really important thing is that somebody comes on board and they say, I really want to help you develop your grant program and help you write some grants. That's awesome. I want to come on and help do outreach. I don't want to reach out to the celebrities. That's awesome. I do video work, whatever the person's lane is. And I think people are just so happy helping in the way that they 
know best Mm -hmm. and enjoy. I think that really makes a difference. Even for the interns, I always ask the interns, is there a special project you want to do because it's going to be meaningful to you? Yeah. And I think like people are really looking to use their time to support different causes. One of my favorite stories about one of our volunteers is that I went to Smith College and we've got a really robust alumni network. And I was on the Smith College page and someone had posted during the pandemic, I'm used to volunteering at a food bank and I can't anymore because we're in the middle of the pandemic and I really want to use my time to support some other cause. And it wasn't someone that I knew, but someone who I had a lot of mutual friends with. And I was like, hey, we're always looking for volunteers at Pride and Less Prejudice. Here's what we do. And then this person was like, oh, that sounds great. And I connected her with my mom and she volunteered for us for a long time. And it was incredible. Okay. So one of the pitfalls is that I'm asking Lauren to do stuff that she doesn't want to do. That's the first (laughs) Lesson learned. Sometimes that just has to be though. Sometimes that just has to be. I'm feeling very positive and joyful hearing just such passion behind all of this. So it'd be great just to hear from you. What's the biggest impact that you've seen through your work or what's the biggest change that you've seen? Biggest change. I need to think about that one for a minute. (laughs) thing that stuck with you the most? Lauren works in monitoring, evaluation and learning, and she's always going to want to know what the impact is. (laughs) Something that I always say to the team, we're so busy doing what we do that we're not always the best at touting what we do or sitting back and kind of (laughs) taking it in and rejoicing about it because we're just busy doing it. I would feel good about doing it. I think for me, the numbers of the books, how much money we've raised and how many books we've sent, how many classrooms, how many kids have we touched? I think that never gets boring for me. That is always exciting. And I feel like that's my biggest impact. Yeah. To see those numbers grow. I just moved from New Jersey to Virginia and I was just setting up my new office. And I ha- we sent out a five by seven postcard that... When you get a book bundle, it tells you a little bit about who we are and what we do. And on the back, it tells you how much money we've raised, how many books we send, how many teachers, how many students or something like that. And I found like a bunch of old ones and it just showed the growth of how we have grown over just three short years. And to me, that's the biggest impact. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've seen previous emails that I've sent out being like, oh, we're so excited that we've raised over a thousand dollars. And I'm like a hundred books. Right, exactly. And we were like, that was so big at the time. And it was. And now we've raised over $115,000. We've sent more than 7,500 books to over 3,700 classrooms in all 50 states. We recently got the last state. So we were really proud when we hit all 50 when we've sent books to seven Canadian provinces. And I think we started out so small. We started out with a Google form that we were just sending to people via email. And now we've got this huge website and all these stats. And we've been featured in places like USA Today and Forbes and The Advocate. And we never really thought it would get so big. And I think in terms of the impact, we're always asking teachers for testimonials to talk about the impact of our work. And I was actually recently at a bachelorette party with a friend of mine who's a teacher who had requested books from us. And it turns out that she had sent information about Pride and Less Prejudice to this other girl who was part of the bachelorette party. And she came up to me and she was like, oh my gosh, wait, you work at Pride and Less Prejudice, right? And I was like, yeah, like part time. And she was like, oh, I've gotten your books before and we got a book. I can't remember which book it was, but it was a book with a trans character in it. And we had a student in our classroom that was transitioning and it really helped the students. It helped that particular student, but it helped the students around that student be more accepting. And I was just like, oh my God. I was not expecting this to happen at this bachelorette party. On a personal level. On a personal level, it was 
so sweet. And so we've gotten lots of stories like those from teachers saying how much of an impact it has brought to their classrooms and their students. I have some mixed feelings that this was a conversation you were having at a bachelor party, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) It was at the beginning of the day. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. This is early in the bachelorette party type of discussion. Okay. Acceptable. That's acceptable then. (laughs) That sounds amazing though. And I think that the numbers, as you say, and having those like cards to look back at and now three years later and how and where you might be in three years from now. That's really exciting. So where can our listeners find out about your work? You can find us online. We are prideandlessprejudice.org. That's where you can find information about donating. And also if you're a teacher and you want to request books for your classroom or if you're interested in getting involved in some other way volunteering with our team or coming to our workshops, getting those teacher resource guides. We are also on Facebook, Pride and Less Prejudice. Instagram, we are Pride and Less Prejudice. And on Twitter, even though Twitter is dying, we are at Less Prejudice. So you can find us in all of those places. We've also got a YouTube channel as well. Yeah, the read aloud sit out on the YouTube channel. So that's a good thing to know as well. Amazing. We want everyone to go to Pride and Less Prejudice, donate. We've donated $100, so join us in that activity. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm thinking of the little version of me who, (laughs) who really could have used some of these books, and it really does warm my heart to talk to you both and to know that you're advancing this. I can think about the little tiny tear with wild hair running wild, not really sure what those feelings for my first grade teacher were, but it could have helped. (laughs) Yeah. This past year, not 2022, 2021, there was a book that came out, Love Violet by Charlotte Sullivan Wilde. And it's a really sweet story about a little girl crushing on another little girl. And for me, we were so excited to see a story like that in print because it was the first of its kind that we kept that book on for a second year as a feature. So there are a lot of little girls out there seeing that book. But they know it's okay to love a little girl. Oh. Love a little girl. I so wish that Becca had that class in yeah. her early years. I'm in love with that story. You're feeling a bit emotional. I know. That made me feel emotional too. <laughs> wow. All right. I won't lie. I'm crying over here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody's emotional. <laughs> wow. You have to buy that book. Yeah. The author lives in Italy and she's been really supportive of us sending us all kinds of things. And there's a read aloud of that up on our website. And we're going to promote it again this Valentine's Day because it revolves around Valentine's Day. It's beautiful. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to get that. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm going to get that. Really beautiful. Oh, great. Oh, I feel so good. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should leave it on that very positive, optimistic note. I'm feeling all lovely inside. So this is the you. only one we've ended where I where left everyone's... it feeling really good. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where everyone's crying. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We're putting everything about Pride and Less Prejudice in the show notes. Please go and check that out. I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. I'm Lisa. I'm Becca. (laughs) (laughs) We got it. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'd like to catch up with your journey again at some point in the future. Absolutely. Great. We'd love to. All right. All the best. This has been the Journey to Transformation. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.